listening to Bible Study Law and Gospel Wednesday, July the 10th in the year of our Lord 2019. And we're going to be taking a look at Luke chapter 16, which is often referred to as the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, Sometimes it's referred to as Dives and Lazarus. Because the word Dives means rich. That's probably really not his name, but at least it talks about the individual who is rich. So it's Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19. Now, what Bible Study Wednesday is about is we love to take a text from the Scripture and see if we can get some insights in it that are not that obvious from reading the English. I want to say one thing, though, that the rich man and Lazarus, some people consider to be a parable. But there are some scholars who do not think it's a parable about the kingdom of God because Jesus uses a name, namely Lazarus. And therefore, they think it's a real situation. I I disagree with that. Because as we go through the parable, it's obvious that Dives sees Lazarus. And there is, therefore, a connection also with those who are on earth. But if you turn to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 16... Isaiah is praying for mercy, and he says, For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. That verse is used to show that Abraham himself is unaware of what is happening on earth. And so I take this to mean in a parabolic sense, what is really going on here in God's mind between those who die in faith and those who do not die. So beginning with verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, you remember Lydia was a weaver of purple. In in other words, having purple was pretty expensive uh, to purchase it, etc. It wasn't easy to make, and the way it was made into purple was costly. Therefore, if you were wearing purple, it would be like saying, And there was a wealthy man who always wore a tuxedo. He always had the best clothes on. And he feasted sumptuously every day. Now, this, therefore, shows us why verse 20 takes place. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came 
and licked his sores. Now, the term Lazarus has a meaning, and it is one whom God helps. This is not the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. This Lazarus is different in this particular illustration that Jesus is making. So here we have a poor man, and it was not at all unusual for the poor to be gathered around areas where there was food. We even find that in the United States. You go to certain restaurants and you go maybe in the back alley where they're dumping all kinds of food, and you may find poor people who are even rummaging through the garbage and eating leftovers that people did not want. So this is not an all unusual just from that culture. But he was even unable to keep the dogs from licking his sores. That's how poor he was. The next verse, 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, what we're talking about here is a teaching that's found elsewhere in the scriptures that angels will take your spirit to be with Jesus. We call it the interim. Why do we call it the interim? I-N-T-E-R-I-M. It's the time between you die, your spirit goes to heaven, and the time of judgment day when your body will be restored to your spirit. Now, some people talk about a soul sleep that, you know, you go to bed at night and all of a sudden it's time to wake up and you don't really remember much about what happened while you were sleeping unless you had a dream or something. And those quickly fade from memory, I've discovered. So at any rate, it's a period for some people to believe that when you die, you kind of go into an unconscious state. Others, like myself, believe you are conscious. Uh, There's no pain, no suffering. You're looking forward to the day of judgment, but you are aware of items. So, the poor man died, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side. This is the only verse in the Bible that speaks in this way, that the people who died are able to look into the heavenly places, not yet the kingdom of heaven after the day of judgment, but the interim, and see what is going on there. So this is why I consider this to be a parable. This is from God's point of view, that he's saying that Dives the rich man, he looks up and he sees Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He then realizes that all that he had been hearing from the prophets, that was true. And therefore, He's really nervous. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
So here's another characteristic of this parable that we don't find any evidence in the Bible that those who are destined to hell are able to communicate with those who are in the heavenly interim. But this is just part of the story. It's kind of like the Good Samaritan, where we have Jesus talking about a Jew who's attacked by Samaritans, but another Samaritan comes and helps him. There's no evidence that that ever really happened, that Jesus was kind of making that up to make a point to the lawyer who thought that he was good enough to get into heaven. Uh, By the way, that incident is the reading for this coming Sunday, uh, the gospel reading. Getting back to our text. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Now, this is interesting. I think we would have kind of missed that. You would think that he would be asking God to have mercy on him. But he talks instead, Father Abraham. It's kind of a reminder of Romans chapter 9 through 11, where what we find out, there are two kinds of Israel. The one Israel believes that they're saved because they're related to Abraham. The other Israel believes they are saved because they have the faith that Isaac had and that Abraham had to have Isaac. It's it's therefore a distinction between law and gospel. If you are looking to Abraham to save you, that's kind of like praying to a saint. And you well know there are some religious folks who believe that you can pray to saints. But that's not correct. Uh, By the way, I see our phone lines are busy. We do not take calls except on Friday, Open Mic Friday. So save your call for Open Mic Friday. And when you call, uh, if you're talking about this, we'll be glad to respond. All right. So here we have where he's calling on Father Abraham to have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, we know from other parts of the Bible that flame and fire is part of being in hell. So all Jesus is doing is using what's in other parts of the Bible. But once more, it's hard to understand that this is not a parable that Jesus is making up because there's no way that people who are in bliss can come down or go to those who are not in bliss and cool their tongue. It just doesn't make any sense at all. So he calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of this finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. There's irony if you've got it. I'm sure Dives, the rich man, realized that when he was living, there was this beggar named Lazarus outside his gate, and he probably wasn't giving him food. Lazarus was just able to take the leftovers that fell from the table or maybe were even in the garbage. And yet, 
here Dives is asking that Lazarus come and cool his tongue. But Abraham said, verse 25, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Now, why does Abraham call Dives child? Well, because he is from the root and stock of Abraham. He is Jewish. He's part of the chosen people who decided not to believe the promises of the prophets. Really important. And Abraham makes the point. Look at how things have been reversed. You had good things when you were alive on earth. Lazarus had bad things. But now he is comforted and you are in anguish. Now that comfort doesn't start when you die and are in bliss in the interim or on judgment day. No, that comfort is really the purpose of every sermon. At the end of every sermon, there should be a note of comfort. And that means the gospel is supposed to be paramount, not the law. And it's important to end a sermon, in my opinion, on a note of comfort, because if you end it on a note of law, you are putting people back under discomfort. Then Abraham says, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Now, that's clearly taught in the scripture that there's no way that those in Hades, the place of the dead awaiting judgment day, can ever communicate, let alone go to those who are in the bliss of the interim. And so, in every parable, there are definite truths, and you just sometimes have to say, well, Jesus is making this point. Uh, for example, in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, was there ever a time that a shepherd found a lost sheep and put it on his shoulders and carried it home? I doubt it. But Jesus emphasized that because he's trying to make the point of what Jesus did as the Savior, where he took the sins of an individual and put it on his shoulder. Really interesting. All right. Going on then, uh, that's uh, verse 26. 27. So Dive says to Abraham, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. Now, who's him? That's Lazarus. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So, right after Abraham says there's no way, there's a chasm between Hades and this paradise that Lazarus is in, 
uh, right away he says, well, then send Lazarus back to earth. Now, now, what is he asking for? He's really asking that Lazarus be raised from the dead. And that would be the evidence that his brothers need to know to warn them of this place of torment. What Abraham says is most interesting. It's in verse 29. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You you know what Abraham is saying? Uh, Moses and the prophets, of course, those are the Old Testament books. Moses is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the prophets are the rest of the books. Uh, Sometimes it's a three division, like Moses, the prophets, and the writings. Uh, Just like in the New Testament, we talk about the difference between the gospel and the epistles. So what Abraham is saying is that in the Old Testament, there is plenty for his brothers to read to find out that they ought to be warned of this place, that it seems like they're destined to be going. And verse 39, Dives is kind of aware that they're not much of a reader of the Old Testament or a listener. Maybe they don't attend the Sabbath synagogue worship. And he says, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. This is a common understanding today of even some Christians. That if only we can prove that there is a resurrection from the dead, this somehow moves somebody further on to knowing the truth about the Christian faith. Now, in most of these teachings that I listen to, (coughs) excuse me, it's not a raising of Lazarus from the dead, but it's a raising of Jesus from the dead. And what Dives is saying, they need some evidence that what is being said is correct. So they need to know that somebody has been risen from the dead, then they will repent. And Abraham says to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That is a critical statement. We often talk, and we did this on the Sunday school lesson with issues, etc. There's two kinds of faith. There's dead faith and there's living faith. You can read about the dead faith in the book of James, where James agrees that even the devils believe, but they tremble. And remember that demon that was taken out of the man, he was trembling. What are you going to throw us into the abyss? And instead, in one case, he threw him into pigs that drowned in the water. They, they know that God 
has authority over them. That is, when he makes a command, it's going to come true. And so the demons are afraid of God, but they don't believe his promises. And that's called dead faith. In contrast to Christian faith, while we agree with all the historical events, or should agree, including creation, uh, the flood, the existence of the people in the Old Testament, the miracles of Jesus, his death, his resurrection, that never saves anybody. It's called historic faith. And many of the Pharisees had this, where they believed every word of the Old Testament, all the historical events. And yet Jesus looked at them and said, your father is the devil, because they had no trust in the gospel. That's where living faith is. What's living faith? Living faith is where you are saved, not because you believe the history of the Bible, but because you believe the promises connected to the history. Nobody is saved by believing that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. But they are saved as they agree with the promises that he died for my sins and he rose from the dead for my justification. There are no belief, there's no belief in the promises on the part of Dives. He's not even looking to God for mercy, he's looking to Abraham because he's that kind of Israel that believes he's saved simply because he's related to Abraham. And not one word about the promises of God in this whole parable. He thinks, boy, if somebody would raise from the dead, then they will believe. Well, Jesus did rise from the dead. And what did the unbelieving Pharisees, did they come to faith? No. They paid the soldiers to lie about it, saying that the disciples had stolen the body. They knew he rose from the dead. In the same way, they knew Lazarus rose from the dead. Jesus had waited a number of days, which was the legal time for death in case of Lazarus. So when he raised him from the dead, nobody denied that he was dead. The Pharisees simply thought it was a trick of the devil, of Beelzebub. This is really an important parable in the sense that it has a lot to say that there is no second chance. This is why the church is in an emergency situation. We send out people, and it's an emergency to talk to those who need to hear the greatest message. And we shouldn't waste time by stopping in the street and speaking to people, because that could be a 15, 20-minute conversation, when we have an appointment to meet, say, with an unbeliever about the wonderful good news of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does not convert anybody on the basis of them believing the history of the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of unbelievers who don't believe in evolution, but they're not Christian. So it's important to understand that what makes a Christian is believing the promises of the gospel, not just the history of the Bible. Now, I'm saying that when you become a believer 
and believe the promises, there is always a connection to believe the history of the Bible. And therefore, when someone doesn't believe a certain part of the history of the Bible, that could put them in danger in not believing the gospel. And that's why youth confirmation, adult instruction, daily reading of the Bible, often Bible studies at church, as well as sermons that are long gospel-oriented, that's the way the Holy Spirit works, to create faith and increase faith. Really interesting. Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 19, the rich man, or Dibes, and Lazarus has a lot to teach us and give us insight about the importance of what is never mentioned, namely Jesus Christ. I'm Tom Baker. Tomorrow, Rumination Thursday with Wes Reimnitz. Till then, God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.